often I'll go to like DevOps conferences and talk about security and security tech conferences and talk about DevOps and like really just trying to bring this together. Cause I feel like we're all kind of going for the same thing, but we often have like different incentives, different places in the organization, different staffing resources, all that stuff. Right. And so it creates a lot of friction between the groups and I want to be part of like helping make that better. I've seen the benefit of that throughout my career and hoping to see that help other people. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hackers of all ages, welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast dedicated to the innovative leaders looking to build out modern AppSec programs. I'm your guest host, Eric Sheridan, Chief Innovation Officer at Tromso. In this podcast, we meet with industry leaders to talk about their boots on the ground experience building out these modern AppSec programs so we can all learn from their experience. With that said, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Future of Application Security, where I'm going to chat with speakers at the Developers and Security Are Friends Day, a free full-day training event for developers and security professionals in the areas of application, product, and cloud security. Today, I have with me James Wickett, founder and CEO of Drive Run Security. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I, uh, I think we were just having a little bit of discussion before this. You know, I, I am a guest host, and I just wanted to get your perspective thus far. Like, you know, a lot of people have been letting me know that you're actually the best host of the show. Yeah. So, I, and I, you know, tend to agree, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I mean, really, you've sort of just jumped the. I appreciate there. it. Yeah. Like so. within a less of a minute of rapport, like you already know. I know. Yeah. Well, it was the easy decision. The, plus the audience polls. So exactly. You hear that harsh shell? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway, cool, man. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is James Wickett. I live in the Austin, Texas area. I've been in uh, security and DevOps and in that space for uh, a long time. And and have really been kind of thinking about like, how do we help, you know, uh, stuff that's going on with developers as they're writing, writing software and how do you, you make this easier, security more enjoyable for them, help deal with like application security as it's scaling. I, I've been a part of like OWASP and DevOps and DevSecOps over the last, you know, 15 uh, plus years. But really, I've been noticing like that's just kind of the theme of the thing that I've always been really interested in in my uh, in my career. So often I'll go to like DevOps conferences and talk about security and security tech conferences and talk about DevOps and like really just trying to bring this together because I feel like we're all kind of going for the same thing. But we often have like different incentives, different places in the organization, different staffing resources, all that stuff, right? And so it creates a lot of friction between the groups. And I want to be part of like helping make that better. I've seen the benefit of that throughout my career and hoping to see that help other people. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's a good kind of lead in to like the first thing I want to talk about, like what are some of the incentives that are causing the friction between these two teams that you're saying? Yeah. I, I mean, there is misalignment. It's like we can talk just purely like between like developers and and security. Often, you know, you'll you'll find out like security people are incentivized for different outcomes than developers. So developers are often, you know, incentivized for, you know, delivering features, trying to get ship the feature to the customer as fast as possible. They're really like good at their craft, but they have the benefit of like being able to like focus in, I think maybe nowadays, maybe not on like a single language or on a single tech stack for an inordinate amount of time, but but a lot of them get a chance to do that for a long segment, especially like whatever project you're working on. Like you'll kind of just like deep dive into that that tech stack for a while. Yeah. Security uh, is kind of misaligned, not misaligned intentionally, but they don't have that same luxury where they're supporting across the entire organization. Often where developers inside, and especially internal development in an organization, they get, you know, put on a, a new project and, and then they run that for, you know, six months, 
two years, five years, what, whatever it is, and then move on to the next thing. And then that project a lot of times will go into support mode or, or like that area. Well, who's supporting that, right? Security, right? And security is already understaffed. We can look at the models and I've seen data that suggests it's like up from like one to 100 from security person to developers, or there's one security person for like 400 developers or 250. It's sort of a sort of a mix. And, and I always think back to like how we've aligned the, the people resources here. It's like when we started the journey in like 2009, whenever DevOps kind of started making waves, started becoming a thing, it was real common for like one operations person, 10 developers. And that was just that order of magnitude wasn't enough of a problem back then for us. And so this one to 100 is even more so. So, yeah. so we have to, we have to have empathy both ways on this. Like, like security is stuck with like more of an outsized portion of like the code bases in general. And a lot of the code bases that are maybe not being used or touched or, or developed on uh, more frequently. And they're just like understaffed or whatever. Oh, and on top of that, there's not enough security people to fill that up. Like let's say we said tomorrow, hey, let's, okay, let's make it one to, to five or one to 25. Like yeah. you just couldn't do that. You can't hire that out in the industry right now. And the industry just won't support it as it is today. So Yeah. And it's interesting because like with that comes, you know, I've seen them kind of speaking different languages yeah. too. And being successful requires a certain skill set to connect with your audience, but also the language they use to connect with your audience. A lot of security teams that I've worked with in the past would often try to connect with developers talking about risk. Yeah. What's your take on that? And do you have other ways that you think the two can speak more of a similar language to connect? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point, right? You'll, security will come at it from that point of view. Often they're chartered with uh, compliance uh, as part of that, somewhere in that umbrella of concerns of what, what security is meant to do. And they are trying to figure out organizational risk. And, uh, and then they try to drill in, like, does this application or this infrastructure or however, like whatever they're building, how does that play out? And yeah, and I, I think it really, you're right. There is a language disconnect. I think I go back to like the, when, when we think of DevOps and there's early, and, I, and I'll make this parallel probably several more times during it, but like DevOps had the same problem. Operations people were speaking like writing scripts, trying to like, you know, set up, you know, in the olden days, like wiki pages for how we like instantiate thing and config files and dealing with all this stuff. And like developers are like, not really sure what's going on over there, but a lot of activity, you know, with the networking and the OS teams and all that stuff, but like we're having problems like when they're, cause they're trying to like sort out like availability, reliability, maintainability, security, all the illities. Right. And so that was their charter. And so then you go to a dev team and they're like, no, like we just want to make it like, I don't know, like we want their image to show up on their profile page and show all the stuff that <laughs> shot right. within the past. And you're like, yeah, but when you do that, like you're, you're overloading this other thing and, and causing like this, you know, outsized impact of your, of your code changes and yeah, you know, security with their language of, of risk and how they think about that. Like it doesn't really connect. I mean, you can't really walk into a developer like, well, you got four highs and one critical and two lows. And so, you know, fix all that stuff or right. And, and, and like a developer, rightly so, because developers are really smart and they really care about quality. And I think they really do care about security. They're like, I don't really know how this is going to make us better. Like, you know, if we're like, especially if we're fixing like these problems that don't really present itself really well in code. And so I think that's where we see a lot of these disconnects. And yeah, I think, I think language and why I bring them back to DevOps was like in the early days we were like DevOps, like you, you could ask somebody, you could pull out any of the, the DevOps luminaries and they would say like, yeah, DevOps is culture. What does that even mean? Right. You know, and, <laughs> and at the time there was just a lot of debate, like back then we were debating, like, 
should be allowed the definition of DevOps to even occur, right? Much less, no one should write a DevOps book and you should never have a DevOps certification and like all these things that have now blossomed, right? <laughs> right. You know? But back then it was just, they were so sure that it was a cultural problem, right? Yeah. It's like, like we were using the wrong, we were using language that talked past each other. We didn't have an understanding of like how we fit in the value stream. DevOps really kind of brought forward a lot of the, like 1980s lean manufacturing stuff and said, okay, like how do we how do we participate in knowledge work and like lean manufacturing? And just like, how do we share, uh, you know, so culture automation, measurement sharing, like how do we do that inside of DevOps? And I think like DevSecOps or security and developers and like how we're fitting together and, and I don't really care how people want to define it, but like in many organizations, they're trying to go through that same same arc, same journey of trying to, you know, bridge those two groups to get them like to, to work together and to do it in a way that like, that is for the good of the organization. It's good for that, for their, their value. Yeah. It's interesting. So, you know, with the adoption of DevOps, a lot of teams have also, you know, when applying it, have adopted a significant amount of automation. Yeah. Um, like CI, CD is yep. a great example of yep. that. Are you seeing security teams face challenges as a result of development teams adopting sort of DevOps practices? And if so, like, how do you respond to these sort of things? Yeah, I think there's, I've seen several outcroppings of this. I know that there's like, some people will say, well, okay, you got you got your CI, CD pipeline and now like, your CI system is now another like vulnerability, you know, area, right? Or like that can also be exploited. I think that's one way that people think about it. But often I see it's where security saying, oh, cool, you have a CI CD pipeline. I'm going to shift left, right? I'm going to take all my security tools and everything that I've, that I've accumulated over the last bit. And I'm going to run that inside of that pipeline. Then, but there's a lot of how you do that is really important, right? You can totally, you know, make less friends. You know, we're at developers and security are friends today. You can make less friends if you do it in certain patterns, <laughs> right. and you can make more friends if you do it in a better pattern. Yeah. So I see in the cases where I've seen it go wrong, it's often where security has taken a bunch of these tools or practices and put them inside of the, the tool chain in like a gating blocking function and adding a bunch of like significant, you know, increase in build time. So now developers, are like I've talked to you know potential customers and and customers is like they're like yeah we kind of avoid like checking in code like as frequently because you know they don't have time to wait for all that security stuff to run and so they're trying to like circumvent it and coming up with like yeah we like all work in this branch and then we'll eventually you know it's like all the stuff that we've learned through agile and devops that like you know small code changes more frequently like that's the path that like really helps an organization like win that helps you reduce your cycle time and everybody get better value out of it all those good, good practices like yeah. they're kind of getting shoved to the side because of all the security blocking that's going on there, right? Yeah. The level of creativity people will adopt to work around something oh, yeah. that impedes their progress is incredible. Yeah. So so maybe that's a good thing. Like if you're if you see people doing that and maybe it's maybe hard to see on the surface, but look for that. But that's a pattern for like that's where you want to focus some effort inside your organization to say, oh, and not necessarily to make them not do it, but like figure out ways like ask why are they doing that? Yeah. Like why why is somebody going to that effort to do have to do their job, right? Because they're incentivized off of a different structure than than security people are. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big metrics that development teams have adopted is like frequency of not only commits but deployments. And mm -hmm. so, like, if yeah. my build has to wait thirty minutes to an hour for your security thing to run, yeah. that impacts my measurement of success. Yeah, so like, of course, it's going to be problematic. Yeah. 
Interesting. So you know, another thing you talked about earlier today was this contextual security analysis. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah. So you'll see, like, I think maybe it's the rise of AI and like how people are thinking about like context, 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 but like even like assessing risk for anything is like a real difficult thing. Like you don't, there's not a, a model that's like, I haven't seen one. Happy to like be correct on this. I haven't seen like an academically rigorous model on like asserting risk for code. So everything is arbitrary. And so if that's the case, like how do you put in the context that helps you figure out what's going on? And so it's something that Ken uh, Johnson, my co-founder at Driving Security and I've been working on, he um, ran internal security over at GitHub and some of the practices that they do, some of the stuff that uh, that I kind of picked up through my career and like stuff that I learned over at, when I was over at Signal Sciences, we're trying to say, okay, how, how do we understand like the actual security of, of a code change? Like of this pull request, like what does that mean to yeah. the organization? What does that mean to the project that it's on? Uh, how does it affect all of its dependent services and, and things inside of the organization? So yeah, we talked about contextual security analysis and we started kind of just working on writing this down. Like where, how do we pick up all these pieces of context that give us a way to think about it. And we break it up into five key areas and we use the slide model. I like easy to remember things. So it's like, it's the surface. So all the routes and all the dependencies and all the stuff that's inside your app, the language and the frame, L, L is uh, the language and the framework that uh, you're using. And so certain ones have different aspects to them that like in the industry, like we know, like you need to use different testing approaches for it or like depending on like what templating language that like that means you have different control characters or injection characters that yep. could be used, right? Intent is the I, and that's like all the human human stuff that people are doing behind the scenes, right? What the developers are, are wanting to do, what the team is, is trying to make happen, what part of the code, like, you know, are we seeing like comments in it and, and kind of like saying, oh yeah, hey, we're working on this, this piece. And like, there's other just like human element that we can fill in there. Then there's the D for the detection. So all the stuff we we normally think of when we think about security, your SAST, your DAST, your IAST, all that, that kind of stuff can fit in there. Checking for secrets, anything like that. And then your environment, like your organization's environment, what that app is doing, its place in it, how it's deployed, as you're thinking about all that. And that kind of forms our slide model as we're able to build out this contextual security analysis picture that we can can look at and kind of make some assertion and analysis about what's what's going on with this change uh, with this code. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. um, so you're deriving all this from the code that people are actually trying to introduce as a PR. Yeah. Right, right. I have a strong background in, in static analysis, so like that's okay, yeah. awesome yeah, that, that yeah. you're doing that. Yeah. So with the kind of context that you're identifying and introducing here, so like, you know, when someone's looking at a PR, how is that changing the discussion about the PR? How are you seeing that content influence the debate as to whether or not to accept up, accept something or request changes? Yeah. On our end, we're working on a uh, uh, an automated security buddy that kind of like fits in that spot. But we also think like contextual security analysis is, it's one of those things that you don't have to be like a customer of dry run security or, or of any particular company to get value out of it. But it's as you're taking a look at those key areas, like they're kind of helping to inform your decision-making. Cause how many times have you been on like a PR where like, it's like, oh, I don't know, I haven't really looked into it, but you know, good, approved, right? Like <laughs> right. people sort of like stamp that. So you need some, some way to, you know, analyze like, all right, I may not know deeply about like for an easy example, like I may not know all the, the code that's being Im impacted here. And maybe like we had our static analyzers run or something like that. And it's able to give us some data, but we know like it is impacting like some critical functions or some critical code paths to our application. And so maybe it's worth like digging in deeper, right? And so like, that's the kind of context we want to look at, look for Or some code changes, maybe they don't impact those areas. And it's like, you're, it's easier to say, yeah, cool. I'm willing to let those through even without like a, the, the deeper inspection. 
That's really interesting. Cause like, you know, when I've done PRs with uh, other engineers, yeah. honestly, I'm, I might, I'm one who might just rubber stamp because honestly the learning curve it takes for me to understand what your change is doing, let alone the feature you're working on as a whole, yeah. it's pretty high. Yeah. And so like if something, give me the automated context, I can make maybe a more informed decision about how I approach that. So it sounds like you're leveling up the conversation well above what I normally see, which is, hey, you didn't indent here, or yeah, hey, yeah. You know, that's a capital letter. Not yeah, lower you, don't, you, don't want to be, you don't want to be a, a new linter or something yeah. like that. But, <laughs> right. but you know, we've just seen that, and, and this kind of comes from, as I revert to distill it a little bit more, my co-founder, Ken Johnson, he's over at GitHub, right? It's like they're dealing with literally thousands of pull requests coming across the wire, you know, every, every day. Yeah. Okay, you're a security team and you have like, five secure code reviewers in that organization. What do you look at, right? How do you know, right? And so there's some elements of slide that really kind of help you figure out like, okay, that one out of out of this group of, you know, 300 or whatever, that one's worth digging in more because it, you know, impacts auth, you know, or they're uh, they're doing something in, a, in kind of a non, non-standard way, or it's um, adjusting, you know, certain, it's like making changes in certain code paths or using you know, certain functions or, or, you know, pulling in something else or, or maybe like our um, anything that's like doing our SCA stuff like helps we, we can see that from our other tools or our other integrations and enough stuff went wrong with this uh, uh, this change that at least causes us for deeper inspection. Yeah, um, you know, it's like you, you make a small change, but then like now there's like 37 new routes inside your app. You're like you're like ah like don't know why, but like we need to figure out why, right? Like that's that's a problem. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's solving a scalability problem. Like yeah. a, a lot of the conversations, and I'm, I'm a part of those conversations, is very much focused on how do you scale, you know, remediating vulnerabilities if you have such a massive backlog. Yeah. You're looking at the scalability problem from a, hey, let's focus on the changes that are going in and let's try and, you know, increase the, the quality of dialogue about those changes before they're actually accepted. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So really, we want to know the Delta of like your, your state now versus what your future state will be based off these changes. What can we assert about that? That's helpful for, you know, you as the code reviewer, you as the developer, uh, as you're making it. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. 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 So another thing I know about your background is you've done a lot of education, done a lot of advocacy. I think you have a few courses on uh, LinkedIn learning yeah, as well. Yeah. We got it. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, like, do you see any knowledge gaps either with security teams or development teams that, you know, look, if we could just overcome that, we'd have a, you know, a better time. Hmm. Oh yeah. So I think some of that empathy stuff we we're talking about earlier and kind of like resonating with like why the industry is the way that it is and like yeah. the why like that people see things differently just based off of like where they sit in an organization. I find that's really helpful. I hesitate to be like really excited about like some of the practices that are really good for some organizations, but don't seem to go so well for the other organizations. So like think about like bug bounties, right? Or think about like security champions programs or, or some of these things that do cross the line and like, or do cross those boundaries between groups and get the groups working together. I think those are great. I, I do generally say that's a good idea, but it does require like a certain level of maturity, a certain level of like how you're kind of building out your program. But I, I feel like those are some good practices for people. We seem to have like access nowadays to a lot of tooling and a lot of like automation possibilities, but sometimes we don't return to like first principles of like why we're doing something in an organization. And so I think if we can sometimes back up and, and remember like how security operates inside the value chain and, and just like developers are being 
you know, incentivized for like number of deploys today. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do we as, a, and especially how do leaders in those organizations think about, you know, incentivizing security along that same way to kind of get them moving together? Because often they, they keep those those separate. And I think there is a lot of training and, and opportunities for people to grow today in the like cybersecurity field or application security fields that I didn't really have before. And so, so I think that's cool. And I'm not, I don't want to just be like, well, take all my courses on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn learning, but, um, you can, if you don't, you can. Yeah. Well, my wife is concerned that there's this many hours of like me talking about uh, stuff, you know, she's like, people want to listen to that, you know? And so, you're just joking, of course, but, um, my buddy, Ernest uh, Muller, who we, we film a lot of the DevOps foundations courses and, uh, and we mix in security topics, SRE topics, we mix in, uh, you know, observability and all, all the components that you would need for like modern practices. But we, it's funny, like we get people coming up to us, uh, either virtually or in person that kind of come from different backgrounds. So you wouldn't have thought like that was the core audience for the course. So it could be like sales, marketing, biz dev, uh, some, you know, sometimes it is like someone who's wanting to like do a mid career change. And like, maybe they've been like working, um, inside of a large organization for 20 years and either they're getting laid off or they're making a change or whatever. And they're using it to like jumpstart, like their journey into DevOps okay. and something like that. So it's always a joy for us to hear that kind of stuff to, that we can help give them enough of a framework so that they can learn, learn what areas they might be more interested in, like what they want to, what they want to continue their career in and lay a, a foundation of how you think about some of these problems. So we, we do spend, I'd say, I don't know what the percentage is, but we do spend a decent amount of the time kind of like framing like, okay, here's here's cams, here's the three ways, here's like trying to build out the principles and practices before we get like, okay, here's how you do it in Kubernetes, you know, or here's how you do it. It's like we, do, we didn't build a bunch of like content that's like geared for like a certain technology, but really like how you want to build your organization, how you want to build your team, how you want to build yourself and like, then you can get to the technology bits. Yeah. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned about you know, folks sort of outside your target audience taking the courses. Yeah. Cause like I've noticed an increased number of like customer facing folks trying to educate themselves more on application security, like sales, customer support and so forth. But I think it's because customers, it's a topic of conversation as a yeah. part of like the daily check-in or weekly check-in with the, the prospect or the customer. So I think like security and application security is now just like a, I don't want to say an everyday topic, but it's closer. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I'm really excited about that. I think that we're seeing the attack surface move from, you know, in the cloud and in the infrastructure and stuff like that to the application. I think like applications over the next uh, 10, 20 years is going to be where, you know, we're going to see more focus area, especially in regard to security. So, you know, I'm excited about it. I've been a, you know, card carrying uh, OWASP uh, member. I ran the chapter here for many years and, and stuff and I've cared about it, but I, I think in many ways, like that was kind of an early movement. And now we're seeing a lot of that adoption kind of actually happen where, yeah. Which is so, exciting. I mean, that is it. Oh, super, that exci- oh, like, super exciting. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, all right. You're like, all right. This is, so this is. Plant the seed and then over time can germinate and grows. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. There was, um, you know, earlier when I was watching you talk and listening to you talk, there was a phrase you made that I want to, I could use clarification on. You made okay. a comment about like context over mandate. Okay. Can you kind of fill me in? Like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think security will focus on, I think there's three ways to view how security impacts the organization that it's in. One is through control. So like uh, putting control, which I would say is like mandate, right? So like we see like control functions uh, all over. So like from privileges to like, hey, we, you know, we have to, you know, support this compliance framework. So we do this thing or we block the build if XYZ happens, right? 
not saying control should never happen, but I don't know if it should be our first uh, instinct, especially as like we're as we're kind of slowing things down. I, I was, in my talk, I gave that quote from Steve Belovin, who's a longtime security expert. He says like security's main problem is like we're protecting the wrong things, and we know that because we're still getting breached, and it keeps happening all the time. And we're hurting productivity in the process, right? So it's like a double damning statement for security. It's like, you're you're not making us any better. I don't believe that really, but it's he's sort of pointing out the fact of like, security's still a problem and now we've slowed everybody down. And so like, we're kind of like losing both sides of this, right? And then I think you can look at, so you can look at control and I think the next level is like composition. It's like all the, the stuff you bake in, all the stuff you inherit, uh, both from a code perspective, but also from like an organizational perspective, like you think of uh, like Conway's law and stuff like that. And then I think context is that punch down where we're thinking of, yeah, maybe this is a risky library or dependency or whatever, maybe, but how are we using it? And are we even like calling any of those functions that would make us vulnerable for a code example, right? Yeah. Or context of like, you know, what does this app really have resource to? Are there other controls and other parts of the system that like, you know, keep us uh, more safe for that. So we can kind of shift from control, but to context. And, you know, I think control, composition, context, they all kind of, you know, work together, but you want to be lighter and uh, really crisp on what you want to put control over. You can be more loose with composition and and context, right? Because you're, you're able to not, you're not putting blocking and barriers in place for, for developers. Yeah. So I think you and I have both been in application security long enough yeah. where it's like, you know, I think 10 years ago, I didn't hear anybody talking about context. Yeah. I mean, we're just like yeah. loading with vulnerabilities and, you know, just dealing the backlog and, and that's that. Whereas today is like context, I'm hearing again and again, like what's changed? Like, what do you think's the 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 trigger for that? Yeah, I don't know for sure. It feels like there's a push with like the AI stuff. Like people are speaking more like the word context does come up a lot more in that that space. There's probably some thoughts here where we're noticing that like, risk is not a fixed thing it's it's on a scale right and so it's maybe some realization of that it like helps us figure out like oh yeah well in the context of x this is bad in the context of y and maybe maybe not so bad i don't know what what are your thoughts do you have do you have a theory on that oh I think it's two things. One, I think security teams have gotten a lot of pushback for just sort of throwing vulnerabilities over the wall. Yeah. And you have engineering teams looking at the stuff saying, this is not real or prove it. That's yeah. what I used to hear a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. ooh, this is exploitable. Yeah. And I think with enough pushback, security is like, all right, something needs to change. Like, I need more information than just critical. Yeah. And uh, I think it's just a necessity. It's just a growing pain, right? Yeah. Like now that we have this tooling and so forth, it's integrated and- yeah. You know, we need to actually make sure the quality of data is up to par, right? which yeah. it's not always the case. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think you hit a good point there too, like the throwing it over the wall thing. Yeah. Like those are literally the words that we said in DevOps, right? You know, yeah. I don't know if you remember those kind of early throw it over the wall memes, you know, that they're there, but that really between the two groups, there just wasn't enough working together to say, hey, we're all delivering a service together, right? And I think that security is like just seeing itself as part of that story now. While you were saying that, I had like this memory. I used okay. to be consulting before I did okay. a security product development. And I had a, a software engineer come to me and say, you know, they asked me some question and I answered it. And they said, I asked the same question of someone on the security team. And the security team literally told me, I can't give you all the keys to the kingdom. I can't solve that for you. You have to go figure that out on your own. So like there was this, for some reason, the holding close to the chest, whatever information would help the engineering team. And so like it's, it's, it's no wonder there was some friction in those days. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the, some of the other core principles of DevOps, right? It's like measurement and sharing. And yeah. like sharing hasn't been a core identity of security just over the ages, right? And especially in application security. 
We're seeing some of that change though. I think we're seeing like, hey, look, the people who write our code, guess what? Like they could inject us with any number of criticals at any point, right? Like, like we have to trust our engineers enough and give them the tools to help, you know, help them make more secure software and make better decisions as they're, as they're writing code, right? So yeah, yeah and I, I always, uh, I always uh, found the insider threat when regarding like your engineering team uh, to be especially like ironic. I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they write all your code. Like, I don't know how you, you map for that. Right. So it's interesting you say that. It's the second time I was talking yeah. to somebody earlier today. I was talking, who worked in FinTech and they said the insider threat is like a major concern. Cause even though the number of like attempts is less relative to external, yeah. the number of successful attempts is far greater. Cause obviously they have the knowledge needed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the big you know breaches that happen that are insider threats, like yeah. they they definitely take it all. But you have to use other controls other than just like I don't know, not giving them access to like your you know static application security results, right? It's like like you have to you're you're gonna have to think about that a little bit harder than just you know uh, and and think about how you protect whatever data is that you're working on, right? And not and still figure out a way to share your security, you know, data and your output and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just it's a weird thing for. Like it is a concern that security has to figure out, and especially depending on like given the context of what you're working on. But you know you got to be careful as you think about your your engineering team and like you know how you deal with that. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I got one more okay, question. Okay. Yeah. I hear you're a big fan of uh, doing barbecue, brisket, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I live in Texas, so you yeah, gotta, you got to do some of that. All right. So I would like for you to try and make an analogy from doing barbecue and brisket. To application security. Oh, okay. To what app, can you do? To, to application security. Yeah, or, or the other way around. Okay. Or the other way around what? Yeah. Uh, can you somehow make, make an analogy of AppSec to barbecue or vice versa? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let me think about that for a second. Um, well, I know in, in barbecue, there's a lot of different styles. And, um, you know, being in Texas, I think that, that our, our approach is a really good one, but I can appreciate the other, other styles. Yeah. And, um, I originally grew up in um, in Oklahoma, and uh, Oklahoma is not known for like having the best barbecue in the world. But they're nicely positioned right between Kansas, which has you know a, you know a great style of their own, like all the uh, the baby back ribs and all that kind of stuff, and Texas, which has like you know the dry rub briskets and stuff like that. And so it's really kind of like a, a DevSec model here, right? So you have the two two groups that are that have different approaches for how they're doing barbecue, right? And there's not a compatibility. It's like, do you sauce it or do you do a dry rub? And like, are you are you doing you know pork or are you doing brisket? Are you you know? So Oklahoma is really a nice middle ground. You can go to like a, a barbecue restaurant and you get both like uh, you know a really great brisket sandwich and like amazing like Kansas City style like pork ribs. Yeah. So I'd say like there are those middle spots, you know, so in your organization, how do you be the Oklahoma, right? How do you, how do you bridge the two, the two groups? Did that work? That you was, nailed it, was, dude. You hit it out of the park. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, James, I appreciate your time. Uh, this is an awesome conversation. Yeah. Um, to everyone else, thanks for joining. We've got James Wicket, the co-founder and CEO of Drive On Security. Thanks for listening to the future of application security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.